Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. As I go through this section of the book of Acts, really the whole book of Acts, I've gone through it, I'm going through it with a commitment to the Lord to, to not bring my preconceived expectations, but to say, God, what does the word really say? And, and I'll tell you why. I want to go back to primitive Christianity. Now, I want to do it in a 21st century way, sure, you know, but I want to have the real thing. I am convinced that much of modern Western Christianity is hollow and has been a failure. No offense, I don't mean everybody isn't saved, but I mean a whole lot of people who think they are apparently aren't. There's just a lot of hypocrisy and there's a lot of nonsense going on. It just, it just doesn't look like it's supposed to look. If I weren't a Christian, I wouldn't become one. Would you? Looking at the situation. Something's wrong. And I'm trying to be, I'm not, I'm not going to be negative. I'm not where I'm heading. But I'm telling you why it's of concern to me. So I'm saying, what are we missing? Where's the, where's the heart changes? Where's the, I once was a, a drug addict and a smuggler and a, and a wife beater and he stumbled into a church and got saved that night and became a deacon and a missionary and a, and a great citizen, you know. Where do those stories go? Where did those life transformation, he was a rotten jerk and he got saved and he became a fine exemplary husband and father. Where did that go? Because what we're having, he was a rotten jerk, he went to church and now he became a Republican. <laughs> he's still selfish, he's still doing porno, he's still a liar, you can't believe a word he says, but he's self-righteous about it on top of it. That's modern Christianity, isn't it? Yeah, something's wrong. Something's wrong, and it's not wrong with Jesus. We have lost the ancient truths. We have lost the foundations. We have lost what they did. It is so morphed over 2,000 years, it only calls itself by the same name. So how do you change that? You go back to the primary documents. You go back to the text themselves. You don't let someone tell you what they mean. You go right into them and say, so what does it mean? And you let Jesus and Peter and John and Paul, and you let them tell you what this is about. And it's quite the process. And so that's what we're doing right now. It's what I'm doing. I, I feel like I'm, it's like um, when you ever go out on the beach and look for agates. You know, and you're walking around, everything looks like rocks, but if you've got an eye to see, you know, you're walking along and you go, oh, there's one. And suddenly what looked just like a regular little rock, you hold it up and you can see the light coming through it. And it's, it's an agate. It's beautiful. It's a gem. You, you, you watch. So as we're going through, going through Acts, I'm not trying to just, oh, yeah, I know that passage. I know that verse. Sure, I know that. I'm trying to say, Lord, what does it really say? Let me hear it again. And you know what he showed me this week? And it was, was, was very much part of, of, of something one of you wrote me. One of you sent me a little, little letter on the thing. 
And you sent me a letter and said, look at this. And I'd never seen it before in my life. That's what I'm going to show you today. Here we go. Father, open the word. Open our hearts to the word of God so that we can see it because we choose Jesus to obey. We choose to walk in faith. We choose to be the real thing so that your love, your power, your transformation, your marvelous salvation can sweep through our generation so the seed will grow and be the largest plant in the garden. God, we're hanging on. Teach us your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll remind you, these are, these are familiar verses. We've, I'm revisiting something that I want to look at again. So Acts chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to start by just reading a portion, one verse, out of the prophecy of Joel that Peter quotes. We're, we're back on the day of Pentecost. Uh, Peter is, Peter is uh, the miracle has happened, the outpouring of the Spirit, thousands have gathered. They, they go, what is this with everybody speaking in tongues? Peter stands up and he said, this is that which the prophet Joel spoke of. And he begins to talk about how the spirit of the Lord will be poured out in the last days on men and women. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old will see visions and your young will dream dreams. No, vice versa. Young will see visions and the old will dream dreams. In other words, and basically young and old, everybody, the Holy Ghost is going to come upon the people of God in the last days. Peter's taught that. The verse I want you to see, and, and, and I want you to read it out loud with me, is verse 21. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Read it again. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He actually says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Did, did you see that? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. I'll show you why that's important in just a minute. Now verse 37. Peter, Peter gives them a sermon. He tells them they just killed their Messiah. They're toast in the final judgment. They're going to stand before this Messiah that they crucified and said, give us Barabbas. And he's going to uh, cast them in a very unhealthy place. And they, they are pierced to the heart, verse 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized. And mine says, In the name of Jesus Christ. But Peter didn't say, In the name of Jesus Christ. Peter said, Let each of you be baptized upon the name of Jesus Christ, which is very odd, but he very definitely said it, and he says it several times. Say, repeat that with me. Peter said, here we go. Repent and each of you be baptized upon the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what I didn't see. He says, the promise is for you and your children. And those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with these with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse, this twisted generation that's walked off God's path. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And here's, here it is. And that day, 
there were added about 3,000 souls. Say that day. How many people were baptized that day? What day? The same day. They were immediately baptized. There's no baptismal class. There's no six-month course, which we've had. There's none of that. He says, so who believes in Jesus? Come on, get down here. And they got baptized right then and there. Why? I mean, that, that's stunning to me. Let's look at our text. <clears throat> the meaning of baptism. We're often told a person will be saved if they pray the sinner's prayer. That's not true. Reciting a short prayer won't save anybody. We're often told if we raise our hand to receive Jesus, we'll be saved. But that's not true either. And a lot of people have been misled into thinking they've done what it takes. The problem is that reciting a prayer or raising my hand can be done without, any real, without really understanding what God requires of me. When I pray, I may not understand what I'm saying. Because words mean different things to different people. I can tell God I'm a sinner without knowing what a sinner is. Or tell him I repent without a clue of what I just said I would do. And this type of shallow, uninformed invitation to follow Christ may be one reason so many people who say they're Christians don't act like it. Some hearts don't seem to have changed. A person can become religious, but not more loving, self-controlled, forgiving, honest, or pure. They become religious, but not loving, self-controlled, forgiving, honest, or pure than they were before. The only difference is now they assume they'll go to heaven. Something's wrong with this picture. Something must be missing. As we look back at the early church, we see people who became amazingly different. When they got saved, their hearts changed. They lived lives that were a great witness. They were respected and admired even by people who didn't agree with them. Not that they became perfect, but they did become much more Christ-like. I believe a large part of the reason that their lives changed so dramatically was because they understood the cost of following Jesus before they were saved. And I believe water baptism played a big part in this. When they were baptized, there was no mistaking what they were saying to God. Now, that day, here's the obvious point we so often miss. 3,000 people were, were baptized that day, say it again, that day. that day. Not weeks or months later after going through a class, they were baptized that day as soon as they were ready to follow Jesus. In other words, baptism didn't follow conversion. Baptism was the moment of their conversion. It was the, by baptism that they declared their repentance and faith. Let's look at more examples from the book of Acts. I'm going to show you this, that it was on when they, when they received the Lord by confessing him in baptism. It was in baptism they made their statement. Look at Acts 8.12. Now just, you're going to get a little bit of a, a just a, a view through here, but just see it. Here's, here is Philip in Samaria. Verse 8.12. When they believed, Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. As soon as they believed, 
He baptized them. Uh, 8, 35 and 36. This is Philip on the road to Gaza. He's there with the Ethiopian uh, minister from, from the, the treasurer of Ethiopia. And he's riding in a chariot and he's, he's reading the scroll of Isaiah. Uh, uh, the Lord actually supernaturally uh, brings him to this spot. And here comes the guy. And he, 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 Philip explains the scripture to him and says, that's Jesus. Isaiah 53, that's Jesus. And verse 36, as they went along the road, they came to the water. And the man said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water and Philip baptized him. As Philip, as well as, as the man, and he baptized him. When did he baptize him? That day. Say that day. Right then. This is how the man confessed Christ. I'm not saying, listen, I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying you've got to get wet to get saved. But I'm saying the early church understood baptism as the way to say to God what the heart needed to say. You follow that? Baptism was a vivid illustration of the truths that a person has to engage to be saved. You didn't miss the point. Words are one thing. The water baptism, you don't miss what it says. Let's look at just a few more. Uh, look with me at uh, uh, chapter 9, verse 18. Just real quick. Let's just... This is Paul. He has been struck down by the light on the way to Damascus. Uh, he's sitting in a house. Ananias comes to him, uh, preaches to him. And it says there, uh, he was actually filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He regained his sight. He got up and what happened to him? Baptized, Baptized right then and there. Uh, Acts 10, 47. This is Cornelius' household. This is kind of awkward. Uh, Peter's preaching to this household of Romans. Um, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit falls on them. Oops, this is out of order. Uh, that's supposed to follow. And so he says, quick, get them in the water. Uh, <laughs> Verse 46, surely no one can refuse the water to these who be, for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit uh, just as we have can. He, in order, he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, and and they, they stayed with them a few days. Acts 16, here is Lydia at Philippi. Acts 16, verse 15. Uh, here's this woman out by the riverbank. Paul shows up, preaches the gospel. Uh, look what happens. Verse 15, and when she, so she hears, she, her heart responds, verse 15, and she, when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, if you've judged me faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. There was no delay. Paul's sitting there, they're out on a riverbank because there aren't 10 men, 10 Jewish men to form a synagogue. So simply Jewish people Whoever was there in that town would gather out by this riverbank and have a prayer time. But they didn't have a formal synagogue because you didn't have 10 men to do it. So Lydia's out there. Paul goes out to the riverbank to find the cluster of Jews, preaches to her. And what, what happens to her as soon as she, she, she believes in that Jesus is the Messiah? Into the water. Here we go. Baptize you. You will confess him this way. Uh, Act 16, verse 33. Uh, Paul gets in trouble uh, he ends up in jail again. He 
quite a remarkable thing. He and Silas are, are worshiping and singing in the middle of the night after having been beaten, and they're in stocks, they're locked, their hands and their feet are locked in order, and they're singing, undoubtedly harmonizing, you know, they're just, they're worshiping. And uh, the power of God comes, there's an earthquake, the, the doors fall open, the chains fall off, the whole thing. The jailer, who will be killed if any of his, any of his, uh, his uh, prisoners escape, thinks they're gone, he's about ready to fall on his sword to save himself the torture that the, the Romans will do to him uh, for letting his prisoners escape. And, and Paul says, don't touch yourself, we're here. And then he preaches to him, Believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved, you and your household. And they, verse 32, they spoke the word of the Lord uh, to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them, when? That very hour of the night. Literally in the evening or nighttime, they go find water and he baptizes them right there. Say that day. day. Just right there. He and all his household, everybody got wet. Uh, Acts 18, the, the... Corinthians, verse 8. Uh, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household and many of the Corinthians. And when they heard, uh, when they heard, were believing and being baptized right there. You believe, you get baptized and confess him in baptism. Uh, the Ephesian disciples, and I, I'll, I'll just skip that. It's another one um, in Ephesus, but I want you to see Acts 22. This is Paul recounting his own conversion again. And I'll start there at verse 12. Paul's telling what happened to him when he was saved. And he said, a certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time, I looked up at him. And he said, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Why do you delay? Get up and what? Be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. Do you know to see how intrinsic it is all through? In fact, those are all the examples. I didn't cherry pick some. Every time you see baptism, it was immediate. The early church, now I don't do this. I've never seen anybody do this. In the past, we used to put you through a six, nine-month course. We made it as hard as possible. (laughs) Honest, I was all for it. Yeah. I just hadn't read the book. So So if, 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 if we say they knew something we don't, Okay, then I go, uh-oh, I don't apparently understand baptism. I'm missing something here. Let's see what else we find. Calling upon Jesus. Let's reflect on how people got saved on that first day. And now I'm, I'm back at Acts chapter 2. I'm taking you through uh, just two verses, 30, verse 37 and 38. Thousands of those who were listening saw what Peter said about the, what he said about the Messiah was true and realized that they had directly or indirectly participated in his execution. And as a result, they would someday stand before him in judgment. Luke says they were stabbed in the heart. That's literally what he says. Meaning a deep, troubling conviction came over them. They were filled with sorrow for what had happened in the past and fear for what lay ahead in the future. 
They called out to Peter and the apostles standing with him, brethren, what can we do? In other words, they were asking, is there a way for us to escape the wrath which will fall on us for doing such a thing? Verse 38, Peter answered using terms with which they were all very familiar. For years, John the Baptist had challenged the nation to repent and let each of you be baptized. Does that sound familiar? That's out of Mark 1 verse 4. That was what John said. What did Peter say? Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. He just added that phrase. Same thing John said. And many had responded to his call and had been baptized in the Jordan River. But unlike John, Peter doesn't warn them about the one who is coming. He is announcing the Messiah who has already come. Having just quoted a passage from the prophet Joel, which concludes with the words, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter tells them that the Lord's name is Jesus. And the way to call upon that name is to repent and be baptized. Did you follow that? He says that if they do this, they too will receive the same gift of the Holy Spirit, which had been given to the disciples. Verse 38 again. English translations of this verse do not normally translate it literally because Peter uses a preposition which initially appears to make no sense. He tells them to be baptized upon Jesus' name. Epi is the, is the preposition. Nowhere else in the Bible. Actually, there's one place Peter will use it again, but there's, the, the Bible doesn't say that. You're always baptized into. You're always baptized into. Peter doesn't say that. In fact, some scribes who were working with this figured they'd fix that for us and change the, change the preposition because <laughs> it, it wasn't right. I mean, why did Peter say into, uh, upon? It shouldn't be that, it should be into. So somebody fixed it or tried to. To be baptized upon Jesus' name. Everywhere else people are said to be baptized in or into someone or some name. And you, there's all these, some examples. So his substitution of the word upon is confusing until we recognize that he is deliberately echoing the wording found in Joel's prophecy. Joel said everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. By telling his listeners to be baptized upon the name of Jesus, Peter is explaining that baptism is the way they can call upon Jesus to save them. Being symbolically buried in water is a God-ordained way of expressing repentance and calling on God for mercy. In effect, baptism, listen, serves as a spiritual statement, a cry for help, which is understood in heaven as clearly as words. When someone serves you communion, you don't need a whole lot of explanation, do you? You take the bread, do you know what you're doing? Yes. <laughs> yeah, you die for me. <laughs> and on, I'm taking it. You, you need a lot of explanation about the cup, the, the red juice? Oh, it's, it's blood. And I'm taking it by faith into my heart, right? It's vivid, it's strong, it's right in your face. It's almost shocking. So is baptism. It speaks without words. It tells you truths. It confronts you with realities that are unavoidable. When you, know what it, when you know what it is, there it is in front of you. You don't even have to explain much. 
say, are you willing to do this? And you're just presented with these truths. Baptism is a form of prayer. Origin of baptism. There are few topics more controversial than baptism. Different groups say baptism means different things, and they baptize different ways, or not at all. In fact, trying to understand baptism has become so confusing, it has lost its meaning for many. And a sizable percentage of Christians have never bothered to be baptized. Why do it? if it's merely some sort of ancient ceremony that leaves me with wet hair. If I don't have to, I don't want to. So let's ask the question, what did baptism mean? Why were people immersed in water? When we look in the Bible, we see it took on different meanings depending on who was baptizing. I'm going to give you a little bird's eye tour. I'm putting some pieces together. This has been totally confused. I'm pretty much on my own right now. So if you want, you know, you you can think I'm a nut. I think I'm dead on. But here's how I see it put together. This is squabbled over, fought over, contested, confused. Every every really important thing in the Bible is, is argued over. To the point that people stop being invested in it. I don't know what it means. You know, everybody has their opinions. I just just want to back away. That's the devil's plan. Muddy the water and get us to back away from the basic truth. Get us to forget it. Just just say, I I just don't want to fight and back away. So we're not fighting. But what we're trying to do is push the mud aside and say, what did it mean? What was going on here? So so follow me. Different meanings depending on who was baptizing. First of all, the mikvah. The Jewish ritual bath. I've talked about this before. The ritual bath was a common activity among observant Jews. It was performed either in a place with a natural body of fresh water, such as a lake or stream, or in a mikvah, which was a special tank of water containing at least 85 gallons, located in homes or near religious sites. The bath was meant to cleanse people physically and spiritually in order to prepare them to approach God and worship. An observant Jew might do it as much as two times a day. So when you talk about baptism in a Jewish context, they totally understand the whole idea. This thing of the the, the mikvah would, we have a mikvah, by the way. Did you know that? It's right back there. It is exactly a mikvah. It's just fiberglass. (laughs) That's all it is. We got a fiberglass mikvah right in there. That's what we call a baptismal tank. The steps down, the tank, about the same volume of water, the whole nine yards. Ours is heated. <laughs> what would an observant Jew do to cleanse? They're, they're cleansing themselves ceremonially. They are ceremonially unclean to, to approach God. It has to do with they've touched something dead or they've done whatever else. So they've got to clean themselves to come to God. So you, you actually take off everything. Don't go there. Um, but they, they will walk down these steps in this tank of water, down they go, they'll turn, there's some prayers to be prayed, and then they'll blump all the way under. Was it, was it immersion? Duh. It was never anything else. Under the water, 
and then you would come up the other side of the steps, which were the clean side. There was a dirty side and a clean side. You came up the clean, now you, now you dry off, and you are ritually clean. You've, you've cleansed yourself. That background was, very, was totally part of the Jewish culture. So when they think about baptizing, there's no mystery to them. The the bath was meant to cleanse people physically and spiritually in order to prepare them to approach God and worship. In a mikvah, a person would walk down the series of steps into the water, totally immerse themselves underwater, and then walk back up on the clean side. They were washing, acknowledging that I'm ceremonially unclean. But then John the Baptist came along. And he went out to the Jordan River. And he went out to these various streams and rivers out, out, out away. And thousands of people would come out from Jerusalem and from all over the place and gather. And they would be baptized by John. Now what's going on there? Something's changing with, with John doing this. John was calling on them to repent. Acknowledging not that you're ceremonially clean, unclean. But that you're morally unclean. Calling on God to have mercy and wash away my sins, saying, God, if Messiah is to come, I'm a sinner. I'm a a wicked man. Oh, God, have mercy. So he was having people come out and acknowledge that if if the Messiah shows up and gives you justice, you're done. You're, You're judged. You're cast away. And so he was calling on Israel. Don't sit there and trust all of these little things you're doing. You're morally unclean. You're a rebel. You're selfish. You're impure. You're lustful. You're greedy. You're angry, aren't you? Yeah. And so out they came and, and to prepare for Messiah. I don't know if he blump blumped them or blump blumped them or stood there while they blump blumped themselves. I don't know which it was. <laughs> It doesn't really matter. The message was loud and clear. They knew what they were saying. John, for John, it was an act of being morally calling on God, saying, I'm a sinner, wash me clean. Say that. I'm a sinner, wash me clean. Yes, amen. Then came Jesus. This This is quite the moment. Look with me at Matthew chapter three, verse 13. This is an awkward moment. John and Jesus know one another. They are cousins. We don't know, Mar- we don't know uh, Elizabeth and Mary's exact relationship, but the two women knew each other well. They are related. They loved one another. That's where Elizabeth, uh, Mary went when she was pregnant out of wedlock because this angel had caused her to conceive. She's in trouble. As she starts to show, she flees down to the hill country, somewhere around J- Jerusalem, North or south, I actually think I know maybe where it was. But she's, there, she's nearby there in one of these villages with Elizabeth. All right, so they do know one another, though John has spent most of his life out in the wilderness. He's been out in the wilderness. He's, he's, God's prepared him as this prophet. So we're at Matthew 3, verse 13. Then Jesus arrived from, from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him saying, I have need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? John's saying quite up front, look, I know you. You're you're virtually sinless. I don't know of anything you've ever done. 
You're the most righteous man I've ever met. I am not. You baptize me. If we're talking about moral repentance, you baptize me. What does Jesus say? But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it at this time, for in this way, it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness, to do that which is pleasing to God. And then he permitted him. And after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. Behold, the heavens were open and he saw the spirit of God descending him, he being John, as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What was happening? For Jesus, baptism changes. Jesus is the one who changed baptism for us. It has gone from a Jewish ritual bath to a bath calling on God for washing away our moral sins and preparing us. But Jesus shows up and he's got no moral sins. What's going on? But he said, I must be baptized. This needs to happen. For Jesus himself, there could be no repentance. He had done nothing wrong. He was determined to be baptized, yet he was determined to be baptized. And the Father openly celebrated his baptism and baptized him in the Holy Spirit. For Jesus, baptism meant submitting to God's revelation that he was the suffering Messiah spoken of by the prophets. By it, he also declared his faith in the promise that he would be resurrected. Jesus is the one that turned water baptism into a grave. He's coming out to John, and what's he doing? This is, his ministry has not begun. This is an event along the way. This is the beginning. This is where he starts. He has simply been a, a very good eldest son. He has been working in Sepphoris, about three miles away from Nazareth, as a, as, a, as a contractor, as a builder, supporting his mom and his at least six siblings. He has been a righteous man. We know that he is deeply in touch with the scriptures. He's been, he's been exploring the scriptures, at least since he was 12, I think all along. But remember what happened when he was 12? They go down to, the, to, a, to, a, to a feast and they head out of town. They get about 25 miles north of, of, of Jerusalem and realize, where's Jesus? And then they have to go back. Mom and dad are not pleased. Where is he? He's in the temple doing what? No, he's in the temple discussing the scriptures with the elders. And he's flooring them. He is stunning them. He is bringing stuff out of the scriptures. They, can, they, they are just shocked at the wisdom in this young man. What's he doing? He's investigating. He's, he's already seeing. He's already seeing the role of the Messiah. He's already getting the fact that he will suffer. So imagine this. Imagine you read Isaiah 53. And it talks about being spit on. And, I mean, go, that whole section of Isaiah, spit on, your beard torn out. Uh, that's earlier. And then you're going to be beaten and crushed and pierced through. Um, you are going to be so awful that people won't even look at you. Be a, they can't look and bear at what will happen to you. Imagine 
that was you it was talking about. Not, not just somebody. But you were reading this and it was you they were going to do that to. Jesus knows. So he comes out to the Jordan River. And he's about to begin his ministry and he says, John, bury me. Bury me. And so he comes before the Father and he says, I get it. I know where this goes. If I say yes to the call, I will end up on a cross. I will end up torn, pierced. There's no question what we're talking about. They will crucify me. I know this goes there. And so what does he do? He lays down on a grave and he says, Father, not my will, but mine be done. He embraces the cross right there. How does the father respond? By the way, he didn't just embrace the cross, the death. He lays himself down in a grave and he then comes up again. And I give you the passages there. Isaiah has both. He will die and he will rise. And he says, I believe. I believe. Jesus changed baptism in that moment. That was where the change took place. By, for Jesus' baptism meant submitting to God's revelation that he was the suffering Messiah spoken of by the prophets. By it, he also declared his faith in the promise that he would be resurrected. For him, the water became a grave. He, he began his ministry by being buried and rising. He may have said this to John because the day after Jesus was baptized, John spoke of him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Did you realize that was the day after he was baptized? The day after Jesus was baptized, it says John saw him coming and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Where did he get that? By using this term, he was unmistakably declaring Jesus to be the Passover lamb who would be slain for Israel and the world. That a dying Messiah was a novel concept to John is demonstrated by the fact that he lost that understanding over time and returned to expecting only a triumphant Messiah. Jesus warned John not to be offended that he had come as the lamb and not yet the lion. Where did he discover? How did John know that he was the lamb, that Jesus was the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. I believe. I don't have proof. I believe Jesus told him. I believe at the baptism. Jesus said, not only just fulfill all righteousness, he said, John, it speaks of me. I submit to the cross that's ahead of me. I submit to the death. I am the Passover Lamb. And I believe the next day, John says, there he is, the lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. Peter, now let's move. We've moved from the mikvah to John the Baptist to Jesus, now to Peter. For Peter, water baptism becomes identification. The water becomes not just a grave. It becomes Jesus' grave. Say that. Yeah, you and I aren't just baptized in a grave. We are standing there in the waters of baptism and we are, to be, we, are, we are coming to be buried in Jesus' grave. 
We die with Jesus. We rise with Jesus, not just a grave. This isn't some self-mortification. Oh, I hate myself, I'll die. You know, go eat dirt and die. Isn't that kind of thing at all? This is me standing there going, I'm a sinner. I'm full of sin and unclean. I need to be washed, oh God. And I call on you. I call upon the name of the Lord to save me. And the name I call upon is Jesus. And I join him in his death. And I join him in his resurrection. Save me, oh God. Loud and clear. Just declares the reality. Water becomes Jesus' grave. Baptism is the way we acknowledge our sin and call upon God for mercy. It's the decision of the heart being acted out physically. It's a form of prayer. By it, we are saying, I call upon you to save me by joining Jesus in his death and resurrection. I die with him and I rise with him. Would you say that? I die with him and I rise with him. I join myself to him by faith. His death becomes my death. His cross becomes my cross. So that my sins are now paid for in full. Today, I also baptize myself into Jesus' resurrection because I believe. I too will rise from the grave and live forever. Did you notice I said baptize myself? That bothers me. I cannot get away from the fact. We have for centuries thought of baptism as something a priest or a pastor administers to you. I assumed it was. And I know it says go and make disciples baptizing them itself. And so in a sense we always say we baptize you. Boink, boink. We do this to you. But I can tell you in, in Judaism they didn't have that thought at all. They were baptizing themselves because baptism was a prayer. Baptism was a form of calling. Baptism was itself. And however you want to look at it, we, we don't baptize you ultimately. I mean, yes, we'll help get you up. <laughs> don't worry. Like, this is going to be grim. You baptize you. We're just here to help lower you into the water and raise you up again and agree with you in prayer. I don't know what I'm going to do with this. This, this. this just undoes my thinking. I'm not trying to start a cult. I'm just telling you. I didn't see that. I think we think of, the baptism, of water baptism simply as sacramental. We're going to do this to you, and when we do, you'll be saved. But when you see it's not sacramental, that's not the point of it. What's, what, what the baptism is, it, what water baptism is an, is an acted out prayer. It is a declaration of faith. It's a, it's, a, it's a personal drama. I die, I rise with Christ. Well, boy, I can't, I can't do that to you. You can only do that to you. I can do that for me. We'll help you down and up. But we can't, that's your prayer, not ours. What does baptism say? When I'm baptized, I'm acting out of prayer. What it requires me to say is much more painful than raising my hand. Now, let's go back. How many want to receive Jesus, you know? I do. What's been our gospel? 
Anybody here want to live forever? Say, I do. I do. Anybody here want to walk on golden streets? Say, I do. I do. Anybody here sick and tired of living like you do? Oh, yeah. Anybody here want a home with love forever? Say, I do. I do. Me too. That has been the dangerous gospel that we have preached across the land. What's it missing? Okay, there's an American invitation to Christ. Let's go back to Jerusalem and stand here with Peter who says, here's a grave. Bury yourself in Jesus' grave. Come up again. Declaring eternal life. Confess you're filthy with sin. And you need to be washed by God's mercy. And whatever they did, I'm just telling you, took. It took. Those folk, they got different. When I'm baptized, I'm acting out of prayer. What it requires of me to say is much more painful than raising my hand. What I'm saying is much more radical than the words we usually say. Father, I'm a sinner. I need to be washed clean. Today I die to my flesh and its passions. I surrender. I submit to your boundaries and your will. Jesus, I join you on the cross. By faith, I plunge myself into your death. I join you in the grave because I'm spiritually joined to you. Pardon me, and because I'm spiritually joined to you, I will also rise from the grave at the resurrection. Baptism says all these things without using words. It confronts me with painful truths. It doesn't let me escape the fact that I'm dirty with sin and need God to cleanse me. It doesn't let me escape the fact that, what, that the old me has to die. Not just try harder to be a better person. It doesn't let me escape the fact that I must place my full faith in the cross of Jesus. Not just that he died for me, but that I must lie down in the grave with him. My dependence, rebellion, and selfishness has to die. And baptism doesn't let me escape the promise that the grave has lost its power to hold on to me. And because I'm joined to him, I will live forever. No wonder those early believers got so saved when they came to Christ. They didn't hear a soft gospel. They heard the call to be baptized, to come and stand beside Jesus' grave and join him in his death. They heard the truth, and that truth set them free. Do you understand how radical what the demands that are there? Jesus doesn't say, do you want a home with love forever? Say, I do. I think because of the way we've presented it, I think because of the way people have entered into their Christianity, when a cross finally does appear, 
When somebody actually says, no, no, Jesus says don't do that. And they're confronted with the choice to obey their Lord or not. I'm stunned with the reaction I see in some people. I'm stunned at, 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 at people that I have seen willing to, out of nothing more than lustful drive, dump their spouse and run off. I, I've said to several men, look, when you came to Christ, didn't, didn't, you, didn't you choose a cross? Didn't you choose to die to self? They're telling me they've got these rights. They demand the rights. And they're not fulfilled anymore. They're a spouse, and they have a right to be fulfilled. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, called, you bowed your knee and called Jesus Lord, and when the Lord says, don't do that, then doesn't that mean we don't do it? And I've watched men who've been Christians for decades just basically flaunt the Lord and go do their thing. I am stunned. And I'm thinking, how can you do that? How do you, what goes on in your brains that allows you to flaunt his will when you've called him your Lord? And I realize more and more, that's why I'm even having this conversation. I think we never did get it in the first place. And if you didn't, let's say it now. When Jesus says something's right, it's right. When Jesus says something is wrong, it is wrong. And you and I will either not do it, or if we do it, repent as quickly as possible and correct that action. We're not perfect, we're not flawless, but we aren't gaming him. We're not playing, we're not, this isn't a game where we're just trying to get our hide to heaven and get away with as much junk as possible. We've stood at a, at a grave, or we should have, and I, and I apologize in any way that I presented a gospel that's been too soft, and I, and I think I have. Not to be mean, not to rail, but to understand if you're going to be really saved, if you're really going to go to heaven, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, he calls you to stand at his grave and join him. Those who become Christians, we're told, crucify the flesh and its passions. What do they do to it? Crucify. That is not a nice term. They say to their flesh, die flesh. I choose him. That is a radical choice. It is a painful choice. It is a costly choice. It's something we live out every day of our lives. We, we die to flesh and die to self every day of our lives because we started with a clear understanding we would follow him in death and in resurrection. That's why I say I think the early church, they had the same drives, they had the same passion, they had the same flesh, they had the same stuff, same people we are. But something happened to those folk where they didn't game him. They didn't become hypocrites and liars and, 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 and sort of double-lived people. 
Oh, there were a few. They got struck dead on occasion. <laughs> we'll get there, chapter 5, yeah. But, but never mind. Don't go there in your mind. But, but, you, but you didn't, by and large, have that. You had folk that really started to live it out. And they loved him, and they loved holy lives and clean lives and good lives. That's what America's waiting to see. That's what your husband and your wife and your children are waiting to see. That's what your neighbors are waiting to see. That's what the people at work are waiting to see. Not perfect people. They get that. But people whose hearts have come to a grave and died with their Lord. When he says, it's right, it's right. When he says, it's wrong, it's wrong. And they will with everything in them live out their obedience. That's what a disciple of Jesus Christ does. Would you stand with me? Blessed be the Lord Jesus. What is it we die to? We die to our rebellion. We die to our selfishness. We die to our independence. We bow our knee to him and say, I trust you, I trust your love, and I trust your wisdom. And I will follow you, and I will obey you and walk in your ways. We become people with different hearts. He says, I'll write my law on your heart. You're going to want to obey me. I'll do a work in you and I'll help you. Anyone tonight would say, you know, maybe this is the first time you say, I, I heard this, this, this call of Jesus Christ to come to his grave and to, to, let him, to die with him, to believe that in Christ my sins are paid for and to rise with him to eternal life, to believe that because of Jesus, I will rise from the dead and live forever. I will not die. He has broken the power of death. I stand with him. I join myself to him and I will die and rise with Jesus Christ. Anyone who's never done that before or you've maybe been a Christian a long time, but bottom line, you got one of those soft gospel introductions to all of this. When you came in, no one really read you the fine print. They asked if you wanted a home with love forever. They asked if you wanted to live, you know, have a successful life and have Jesus as your co-pilot. They say something was soft about it, but you never got the picture. And when he said something's wrong, it's wrong. And he said something right, it's right. When he said this is pure and this is impure, this is good and this is bad, that you were to follow that and to follow it with all your might. When you look at water baptism, anyone need to say, I say yes to that, Jesus. Would you raise your hand if that's you? Anyone need to say, I choose him like that? Yes, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Yes, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Now this I would not call an easy invitation. Yes, praise the Lord. But I'm going to tell you something. You come to the Lord with this kind of seriousness. You come to the Lord with this kind of decision. You're going to have an explosion take place inside you. What did he say? And you will receive the gift of the Spirit. God will come inside of you. God will come and live with you. This is, the, this is the door, actually, to joy. But it passes. Something has to die first. One more invitation. If I missed your hand, anyone else need, need to say, raise your hand. 
Now, I'm not, I'm not even going to, well, maybe I will. But I want to tell you what I think you need to do if you raised your hands. Well, now, you tell me what I think you're, I'm going to say. <laughs> well, I think that if, in fact, I don't think I will pray to Nate. I'm not going to lead you in a sinner's prayer and say, now you raise your hand, you did it, there you go, done. If you meant it, then would you be baptized? Bring a change of clothes, bring a towel, and we'll take you to the mikvah. <laughs> and we'll stand there, and you tell Jesus, I die with you, my Lord. I rise with you, my Lord. I get it. I'm yours from this day forward. And you watch what happens. We will then, by the way, slap our hands on your head and pray for the fullness of the Holy Ghost because that's what the early church did too. That's another sermon. Because you now qualify, man. You now have surrendered and the blessing and promise is yours. And so we receive with you the fullness of the Holy Spirit. This is how a new life is lived. The Word of God is like a two-edged sword. It pierces our hearts. But it pierces it not to destroy us, but to give us life, to set us free, to let us be filled with your spirit. And I just pray that everyone who you're calling, you would meet them in the confession of water baptism. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.